My guest today is Trey Ferguson. Trey was proudly birthed in Brooklyn, New York and raised in Richmond, Virginia. He currently calls Homestead, Florida in Miami-Dade County home. There he serves as an elder and the director of discipleship at the Refuge Church. His passions include building community, digital engagement, black church history, and the University of Miami Hurricanes. He is months away from completing his Master of Divinity at the Samuel DeWitt Proctor School of Theology at Virginia Union University. Trey's best feature is actually his wife, Jessica, and when he's not theologizing, he enjoys roasting people on Twitter and maybe landing himself in hot water with his church elders. Oh, uh, thanks. Yeah. yeah, so thanks so much for, for joining me, Trey. I'm glad to be here, man. Thank you for inviting me. I'm honored, humbled. I see uh, we already had a, a couple heavy hitters on, on this podcast before me. So I, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm a fan right now. That's all. Well, it's all heavy hitters because, you know, I don't know how it's, I, I would get people to listen to me talk. Unless I, <laughs> I some heavy hitters on. So, so speaking of roasting people on Twitter, I've got a tweet pulled up here that sort of sealed the deal as far as knowing that I had to have Trey on the podcast. Do you know what, do you know which tweet it is, Trey? Is it, is it the time I roasted you? Yes, sir. So Trey on occasion, Trey on occasion will just sort of send out an open invitation, you know, sort of like, uh, I'm, I'm at lunch, ask me anything kind of thing, you know, uh, but it usually happens in the evening and, um, he'll just say like, Hey, you know, send me pictures and I'll, you know, I'll, and, and I'll say such and such. Right. So, this was uh, send me pictures and what does it look like I do for a living? <laughs> so I sent my uh, profile picture and here is Trey's take, which is eerily accurate. <laughs> Quote, you spent eight years writing a biography about Pistol Pete Maravich that no one wants to read because no one cares about people who played basketball and Chuck Taylors against plumbers and meter maids. So now you teach Spanish at the community college. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Uh, and I just felt seen. Yeah, man. I see you, bro. I see you. I see you. Uh, it's a, a kindred spirit. So, I mean, I'm never ever going to watch or read or try to look at a picture of Pistol Pete Maravich in my life. But other than that, bro, I, I see you. It's a, like, you're the type of dude I want to be in life. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I am the type, or Pistol Pete. No, you, you, oh, you. Okay, like, that's, right. why, that's why I see you, because I feel like a kindred spirit. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. if I lacked a little bit of melanin and, and you know, was a little bit smarter and stuff, you know, like, I, I, I want to be like you, bro. That's all. Okay. So, oh, and I, I can't even believe this just popped in my head. So uh, I think it was you laughing is what made it come to mind. There was the other one that you did <laughs> where I got a Christmas card with glitter in it. So clearly someone w- wasn't observing my, my Twitter feed. Uh, Cause I've made yeah. it perfectly clear that anything with glitter goes directly into the trash. Yeah. It's domestic terrorism for sure. Oh, geez, man. And uh, yeah, so I mentioned getting glitter on my Levi's and, <laughs> and Trey lost it. And this actually then became the, uh, the, what, the inspiration for a song written by a couple of our other friends on. Yeah, uh, by Creech. Yeah. And uh, Creech and, and, and Mark Perkins, That's they, right. they, they tag teamed on the on on glitter on my Levi's uh, jam. Right. That, that was a bop, man. 
Yeah, yeah, the Bernie Talpin and Elton John of, of Christian Twitter. <laughs> sure. Um, okay, so speaking of d- domestic terrorism, that's actually my first question. So elephant in the room, icebreaker here. How many of your friends were at the rally last Wednesday? <laughs> How many of my friends? Oh, none, <laughs> none, not yeah. a not a single one. Oh, because all of my friends know that had they been there, we not friends no more. Like automatically, like we don't need to send a little message like that. That unfriending happens instantaneously. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, right. I, I know. Uh, I probably I might have had a couple neighbors <laughs> that day that took the trail, but that's not my fault. <laughs> it's yeah, not a, no, yeah. Yeah, that's not uh, a voluntary. Probably like arrangement. no, like no one from your church, probably. Um, no, not not to my knowledge, because I, when I was reviewing the footage, I think I might have seen like six black people there. Um, and none of them went to my church. Okay. I don't know if that's for uh, lack of trying or lack of conviction, though, because um, no, no, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to pay anybody uh, in my circle in that light unfairly. But um, yeah, yeah, that was that was that was something to behold. And uh, there's always that, that lingering feeling that like, oh, man, like, I hope I don't see anybody I know there. Like, I, I know I got a couple uh relatives who see the world a little, a little differently than I do. And, uh, you know, I'm from Virginia or I was raised in Virginia. So it's only a quick trip up the road. So I did I did have to check real quick, but I, I didn't see anybody I recognized there. Uh, thank mm-hmm. God. Yeah, so I was listening to. Uh, so Trey does a podcast with uh, Robert and Sam. Uh, Robert Monson and Sam. Yeah, Sam Gay. Yeah, Rob Monson and Sam Gay. Three black men. Theology, culture, and the world around us. Right. Um. So, so I was listening to that podcast in preparation this evening, and I, I thought, oh, I think this is the question I'm going to start with, right? Because I think this is a, Trey would appreciate the, you know, the irony of the question. Uh, and then right as uh, I had that thought, you said the thing about scanning the crowd. And I was like, well, you know, when when two or more agree. Yeah. Yeah. I guess my, my the the reason it occurred to me to, to sort of frame things that way, sort of at the at the start is, I don't know. Do you do you have thoughts on how I'll put it this way? OK, so. It seems like a lot of folks in white evangelical circles yeah. are really eager to push back on the observation that there are white Christian nationalists right. who feel at home in their churches. Right. Um, and rather, rather than doing something about the fact that those people feel at home in, at home in their churches, which, of course, would, that would preempt the observation— Right. Rather yeah. than actually doing something about it, they they want to they all of a sudden they want to get real nuanced. Yeah. In, yeah. In, in ways that they don't with some other subjects. So, yeah, that whole open thing. Open invitation. Like, right. What <laughs> thoughts? Yeah, it's funny because I, I was actually just like uh, in, in prepping this just uh, prepping for, for, for this conversation, just, just reviewing some of the, the happenings and everything. And I think I kind of um, know what you're alluding to because there was somebody who tweeted something like, oh, we should be careful not to call this a Christian insurrection, but we should call it a godless insurrection because mm-hmm. there's nothing Christian about what they did. And uh, I think to myself, how convenient, how utterly convenient is that? Because uh, I, I'm inclined to agree with that on a surface level. That is not 
and appropriate use or representation of the name of Jesus Christ who died and rose on the third day with all power in his hand. Like, no, that, that that's not what that is. But at the same token, one of the, and sorry, I'm, I'm, about, I'm about to go straight here, whatever it is, what it is. But like one of, of the features, like the main, like, the, the, the thing that makes white supremacy so dope, I would imagine, if, if you're white, is the fact that it allows you to judge everybody who is not white by the worst of what they have to present, right? <laughs> like if, if there's a hundred black people in a room and one of them got his pants sagging, look at that dude with his pants sagging, you know what I'm saying? But all of a sudden, white supremacy allows you to judge all white people by the best of what they have to offer. So now that we went and the whole world has seen a bunch of white people acting a fool in at the U.S. Capitol, and, and it's it's embarrassing. It truly is because it, it nothing about it makes any sense. Like what what were they doing? What did they expect to happen? Like no, everything that they were accusing and chiding and and chastising black and brown protesters for doing for the past four years in terms of, oh, look at them breaking things, tearing things apart, who are reacting to state-sanctioned murder repeatedly over and over and over with video evidence and all of that stuff. Everything that they were chastising them for doing, they did because they lost an election. And now that's out there. Um, you kind of got a, the, the foot is in the mouth because all these words were so strong just a moment ago. And now the people who look like you and believe some of the things, same things that you believe have done this is, well, we're not with them. And 99% of the people that were there for, for a peaceful protest. And it was just a few bad apples. Like, isn't that convenient <laughs> is where my mind goes to, because when people applied or tried to apply the same arguments for those things recently, like in the past few months, even like, no, like some people showed up to protest about the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and started breaking into things and setting things on fire. But most of the people were there were, were peaceful. None of that mattered. They were thugs. They were rioters. They were animals over people getting, we watched George, George Floyd get, get choked to death on camera, eight minutes and 46 seconds. With, with a knee in his neck in his back and and because somebody lost an election that we had no reason to suspect that he would win other than the fact he kept saying he would win he was a historically unpopular candidate <laughs> he polled poorly the entire time like from 2016 the first time he announced until now he's polled poorly and he lost an election in a convincing fashion and people didn't like that and they stormed the capitol building and now all of a sudden we need to apply nuance and well no let's hear these people now is the time for healing oh isn't that convenient so yeah i'm, I'm sorry about that little rant right there but it's just uh <laughs> something that was, that was hard for me to miss in this particular instance yeah yeah no no this is this is trey unfiltered right here this is that's that's perfect rant rant all you like so so um the last you mentioned the last four years right so it seems like the last four years we've seen well and and before uh, uh, you know before that uh but but the last four years especially we've seen this sort of fault line that's been there all along since before our, our nation was a was a, yeah. a a sovereign state right right there's this fault line that's been there the whole time and we've we've seen it again sort of emerging with ever more clarity in newer and more disturbing ways. Right. And what 2020 has revealed is that 
maybe more churches than some of us might have imagined are are on the wrong side of that fault line. Some of who might have imagined? Uh, some of some people might have imagined. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. so what do yeah. you? What do you, I mean? Have you even been at all surprised uh, at the deafening silence? Not particularly. Um, hmm. for the fact, and and I don't mean to come on here sounding all militant black panther like that that's not who i am as, as, as a person or anything like that what i am is um somebody who enjoys the process of, of thinking theologically um and also examining the historical implications of things particularly in like the united states like u.s history i, I like that because i think that tells us something sp- special and specific about the the character and the ethos of this people that uh global and perhaps like church history and all those things can't necessarily tell us because there's a lot of unique things about the United States. Um, but one thing you can count on just like death in taxes is, is the fact that there will be predominantly white Christians compromising when it comes to race. <laughs> like it's something that you, that you can count on historically speaking it's been there from the beginning. And I don't mean to point uh, to paint with broad strokes because from the beginning, and one of the reasons I'm not willing to issue the whole uh, oh they were the man of their time excuse and everything because at every point there have been people who tried to stand on the right side at every point there were christian abolitionists there were uh, uh christians who, who who saw the hypocrisy and and the demonic thinking that went into white supremacy and segregation and all of those things but the fact of the matter is for Every one of those, you had at least one, if not more, who was staunchly on the other side and, and what we would now call the wrong side of history and in terms of compromising. And uh, <laughs> it's interesting that a lot of people like to act like that was so long ago. But a lot of these people are still alive. Like Ruby Bridges, they made a movie about her and everything for integrating the school. She is still alive. She's not even that old. Ruby Bridges, I think maybe in her 60s, <laughs> you know, oh, and, and, and people want to act like all of this stuff was so long ago. And that's not always the case. But through all of that, you have people who not only compromised or endorsed um, policies that we now widely recognize as being harmful to people who bear the image of God and happen to be black and brown and and, and Latino, Latina. But the, not only did, did, did they endorse those things, they found and invented theological justification for it. And the question then becomes, what adjustments have been made to those theological justifications? What shifts have we made in the way that we disciple people and in the way that spiritual formation happens because if you cannot provide a pretty general and solid answer beyond issuing some sort of resolution every now and then oh we're sorry xyz happened if you can't tell me what fundamental shifts in theology and practical and embodied theology occurred then you don't really have the moral authority to challenge people on on issues nowadays right so that's why a lot of times people start talking about uh, critical race theory and, and, and all this stuff nowadays. I don't even I don't I don't care about what you have to say. I don't you don't have the moral authority to speak on this to me mm-hmm. <laughs> based upon if we trace your theological lineage, if we look at historical patterns about who stood on what issues and everything. And, and, and I'm not willing to grant people the benefit of the doubt when 
they solicit this, oh, that's not me. You have to listen to my arguments. No, no, I don't. I get to put your arguments in context. I do. <laughs> and this isn't anything that we haven't seen before. There's nothing new under the sun. Um, so uh, one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to be honest and, and we're going to have a reckoning together where, where we can speak some truths on some things, or I'm just not going to listen to you. I'm not going to take you seriously. And I'm fine with that. If you use your theology to justify oppressing others, then you will be in the uncomfortable position one day where your descendants or your uh, sort of theological descendants or denominational descendants or whatever will be in the uncomfortable position, uh, not only of needing to say like, sorry, but actually having to go back and pick apart. Absolutely. Because it's not like there was just some factual error like they're like, hey, sorry, we were mistaken about the the layout of the solar system or whatever, right? And then we got new information. Like, no, no, no. You said that God said this, uh, right? Yeah. But, so I need you to name exactly what you did wrong and why it's wrong and why you don't think that anymore. Otherwise, you're a false teacher. And I shouldn't listen to you. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it goes. And the funny thing is, okay, so... One of the things that I, some people like to call it a, a point of radicalization, like when, uh, when I had my eyes open, um, it had to deal with how I approached the Bible, right? Because uh, the first seminary I, I attended to was a predominantly white, conservative, evangelical seminary. And um, how they approached the Bible was what you would expect from an institution that I've described as such, right? Like uh, the whole infallible, inerrant, uh, inspired uh, paradigm going on. And it doesn't necessarily encourage you asking questions of the Bible. Mm. When I found permission, like when I went when I felt like I had the leeway to do that, to ask questions of the scriptures and to search the scriptures for those answers. What I found was a theme uniting the Bible where exactly what you just said happened over thousands of years where people used what oh God said this as, as, as a, a means of oppressing people and what it took was God incarnating in a man named Jesus Christ and setting those things straight. So Jesus, one of the reasons that he was executed was because he took all of these sacred laws and sacred paradigms and kind of turned some things around. It was like, yeah, I know you guys think that this means this, but really this means this. Like we use this to try to police other people when we should be turning it inward to look at ourselves. And when Jesus started applying scriptures like that, when he took the liberty as the son of God to, to take those scriptures and use it to examine the self, right? Um, that's when he started getting in trouble with the religious establishment to the point where like, no, nah, we got to get rid of this dude. So when we say that, like when, when I realized that it, it made me a lot more comfortable with not only challenging people, but just deciding some people like, I'm just, I'm just not going to listen to you. I'm, I'm not because you don't have that sort of authority. Often over and over again, when you see the challenges between the Pharisees and Jesus um, in the Bible, when those happen in public, those are honor contests where they're basically saying that, look, Jesus, you do not have the authority to make these claims that you're making. And Jesus in return says, ah, a matter of fact, I do. And time and time again, he, he proves them wrong. And it's 
a lot of things that went against the orthodoxy of the time. And had that not been the case, they wouldn't have had that sort of friction, you know? Um, and, and it was over centuries of their application, like Jesus saying things like, oh, okay, you, you're careful to tithe even the smallest amount of your, or these things you ought to have done, but have you been doing this? Have you been doing this? Have you been doing this? And the whole thing about it was him pointing out the fact that as much as they knew the scriptures, as many as many full on scriptures and stories they could recount and tell and share as, as all of that they could do. They neglected some very simple, very elementary foundational pieces of what God had called them to do and who God had called them to be with regards to how they treated people uh, who were on the margins of their society and people who didn't necessarily have the best luck or the best draw in life. Um, that's how Jesus handled these scriptures. And when I look at that, I feel emboldened to go ahead and, and re-examine how we've applied these scriptures historically and where are the blind spots that are evident in our society. Yeah, I've got some thoughts on the way the ways that terms like inerrancy and uh, sufficiency are used. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think they have th this uh, sort of benign theological sense. Uh, yeah. But then they also have this malignant sort of political sense that masquerades I, as the as the the, uh, the the theological sense. That's how it works, right? Yeah, it doesn't advertise the fact that it's political. Uh, yeah, but what it comes down to is uh, really there's no principled way in the political sense. There's no principled way of sorting out uh, when one is in danger of questioning the inerrancy or the sufficiency of scripture because what it comes down to is it's it's whatever is politically expedient yeah. at the moment and it it threatens anyone who asks questions yeah. yeah when you look at how recent a doctrine inerrancy is <laughs> like we're literally talking the past what couple couple centuries right like it's a very recent <laughs> idea this, this thing here um and and like you said there's no real way of of determining when you're in error of, of violating that like okay you look at the fact that usury is explicitly like condemned several times throughout scripture right like the, the process of loaning money out and and charging exorbitant interest rates for profit and everything it's explicitly been in scripture and up until the time of John Calvin, basically, it was it was throughout the Christian and Jewish world was like, oh, no, we don't do this because the Bible explicitly condemns it. And then John Calvin goes ahead and writes like a justification for it. And all of a sudden, like, oh, wow, this becomes profitable. And and and, and like you say, I'm not accusing John Calvin in particular in this instance of, of some sort of like heresy or anything. But that is an example of how we don't really question him in terms of all oh, well, so is the scripture not sufficient anymore if he had to write this justification because then it became politically expedient like oh now we can we can run a profits here and that's why that particular form of christianity became so transportable and so attractive to so many different people because now we have permission to look at scriptures and think of justifications based upon our current and contemporary world and john calvin is somebody that many christian many people throughout christian um Christendom, they, they wear his name. They call themselves Calvinists, right? They're reformed um, because of how they approach the scriptures. So when we look at words like inerrancy, right? And somebody who claims to be a Calvinist, knowing what I just said about John Calvin specifically, holding inerrancy as a doctrine, 
it's fair. I'm not even accusing. I'm, I'm sitting here asking a question that's going to make people like think it might sit with you. It might make you uncomfortable that, that, that that's not a bad thing, being uncomfortable and wrestling with things. But are we now playing into white supremacy that gives some people the right to approach scriptures in a certain way while anathematizing others who would do the same? Right. Because as somebody who was molded by the black church tradition and is still part of the black church tradition, like myself, I've, I've had people tell me to my face that, that my tradition isn't real, that, that I, that my salvation is in question, that, that, uh, my theology is deficient because of X, Y, Z, uh, because uh, they, they want to spit the five solas at me. They're, they're, they're reformed. They have all of this. I'm like, wait a second. So because you could trace your tradition, um, that literally, literally just a couple hundred years before mine, <laughs> you, you, you feel as though uh, you're, you're in a position to, to hold me outside of orthodoxy. Um, and that's something that we need to wrestle with. Uh, and I think that's healthy because without wrestling with those things, the reconciliation that people claim to want is a little bit further out of reach than, than we want to pretend it is uh, until we can have honest questions. Like, why is it that you feel the way that you feel about me and my tradition, but not about yours? I, I'm, I'm really increasingly uncomfortable with talk about uh, reconciliation, diversity, uh, in inclusion, inclusion in what, I don't know, uh, <laughs> multicultural, all these terms get thrown around in isolation from justice. Yeah. And I like, I, it's pointless to talk about any of that stuff if you don't wanna name yeah. The injustices that have been done and do everything you can. I mean, don't talk to me about, well, this was so long ago because it wasn't right. And don't talk to me about how are we going to sort this out? Because I, I mean, like, if you're really repentant, you're going to you're going to at least try. Yeah. Right. Before yeah. you start talking about the, the, the obstacles, you know. Yeah. And, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, don't just get words like reconciliation and diversity out of your mouth yeah i don't even have a problem with the word i don't i don't have a problem with the word reconciliation what i have a problem with is people want cheap reconciliation right yep. i'll put it to you like this if i get caught cheating on my wife or beating on my wife something like that right um and, and i have a habit of it and it has really done a number on our relationship right I can't just be like, oh man, I'm sorry. I was really tripping. Get back in this house and let's get back to normal. Like, no, there's a whole lot of work that needs to be done. And the thing about that is I, as the offender, I, as the person who wronged my wife, the person in relationship, the one, the, the relationship that I want to mend, I don't get to set the terms of what that reconciliation looks like. I don't get to determine when enough has been done. Like, I, th That's not my call to make. I have to sit humbly and listen to the, the person, the party, my wife in this particular hypothetical, I have to listen to her. I have to hear from her when, when we've reached a, a sufficient point of trust that we can move to this next step, right? And a lot of people think reconciliation means that we're just seen in the same spaces again together, that we can sing worship songs together. We can do all that. Like, no, that's not. Yeah, you have a, a multicultural church. You hit your quota. Your website looks nice. You got 
uh, the, the, the salt and pepper mix just right in all your photos and everything. But are they really sharing with each other? Do they have community? And I'm going to tell you how you know a lot of these communities uh, were actually hollow facsimiles. Because in 2016, when Donald Trump was elected, how did the black people in your congregations react? Like, how, how did that feel to a lot of them? And and and, and sometimes I, I don't even know if that's a fair question to ask, because I'm not sure how how much people were even paying attention to them. <laughs> and I don't know if they, they would have noticed that that exodus that happened, that there are entire like parachurch ministries and podcasts and blogs that have been born as places of refuge for black Christians in predominantly white spaces who try to do this whole reconciliation thing only to find out that no, they, they might've said they were sorry, but they hadn't really done any work yet. They hadn't done the work of listening and hearing the hurts and all of those things. So I'm fine. I actually think that talking about reconciliation is a good thing, but I think we need to be clear about what that means. And I think that we need to stop letting the people or the descendants of the people who, who did the offense determine what that gets to look like. Because you don't. <laughs> as, as, that's not uh, what reconciliation means. It means that you have to hear something out and then we're going to make some concrete changes in behavior. So what do you make of the not critical race theory per se? Because I think we're in agreement that these conversations uh, that are playing out aren't actually about that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the dumbest thing ever. It's, yeah. it's so, it's, it's so like, I, I, yeah, what, do you, what do you make of that? Because it's see, the critical race theory is a, is a proxy for uh, any kind of speak of social justice about systemic or institutional yes. problems, right? Um, and it's like it's this this real quick move where it's like, oh, that's CRT. It's not, but that CRT CRT is Marxist, so we don't need to, conversation. Yeah. Right. It's um first and foremost, I want to say congratulations to all those people uh pushing that boogeyman theory because I do not know if anybody has done more to advance the discipline of critical race theory than the Southern Baptist Convention. Like I was I was on uh, a call with a couple of other pastors consulting them about something completely unrelated like a couple of weeks ago, talking to them about digital engagement and stuff. And somebody drops another like, oh, by the way, do y'all have any good resources on hearing like a, an explanation of critical race theory? Because I keep hearing people talk about it and I need to know. But like, Nobody was thinking about this. This is not something that was sitting there running rampant through people's congregations. Stop lying. No. So so, so you hear some people talking about justice and all of a sudden, oh, that's the art. No, it is not. Are you kidding me so we created this boogeyman and now people are looking at it. it's like okay if, if if i sit here and tell you uh about like oh man you don't want to smoke marijuana because if you smoke marijuana you're going to get really hungry and you're going to laugh at a whole lot of stuff and 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 you know, you might get lightheaded and sleepy for a little bit. I might want to try marijuana. Like, <laughs> if, if you keep on doing that, and, and that's kind of what's happened in, in this situation, and talking about this more than anybody ever knew about it, I feel as though they, 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 it's, it's such a funny paradigm to be in. So congratulations on all of the people who created this uh, newest class of graduates in the School of Critical Race Theory. And then also, uh, when you say, what do I think about it? Like, well, it's so insane that we are listening to people with demons and 
PhDs in church history and chemistry and everything but the actual field we're talking about. Like we're listening to all these people characterize it and posit themselves like, oh, I don't need to be an expert to talk about it. Like, no, you don't need to, but it might help because the fact that so many of you guys who are not experts in this are trying to like, that seems a little bit sketchy. And like you said, it's it's a proxy. Like the whole thing, I, some people got mad at me. I got myself into, I don't want to say hot water because it was really a minority of people who felt the way um, there were a couple of parody accounts that popped up talking about like woke XYZ, right? And some of them started like following me so they can like parody some of my stuff. I immediately like blocked them reflexively because I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. Because in my estimation, people who use woke as a pejorative, Mm. what they're often communicating is... um, n-word lover right like it's all that back in those days of jim crow if you got too close to the untouchables you got too close to the negroes like not nah, something's wrong with you and we're seeing that thing same thing play out over again all of this fury about crt is the academically respectable version of saying the same thing Mm. It's anathematizing anybody talking about something that makes us uncomfortable i don't have the time for it <laughs> yeah when I see like just some random person using the term woke as a pejorative, I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like, it, you know, it makes me uncomfortable, but it's like, okay, this is kind of, I guess people do this now, you know? Uh, but when I, when I see someone who is affiliated with like a, a church or a parachurch institution using the term woke as a pejorative and like, putting it in talks that are available on YouTube that he's promoting. And there's like no institutional pushback or anybody like, you know, you could pick, like, there are a lot of words. Like you could just pick a different word. It, it, it kind of blows my mind a little bit that that's acceptable. So you could explain a little bit about like why that is uh, not okay. So yeah. Well, first of all, was you, you, Pointed out just now, you said, oh, you can use a different word. Like, I don't think you need to use any words. What happened to just preach the gospel? That's what we y'all agree, told me. To do. <laughs> like, that's, that's about that. We agree. We yeah. agree about that. Yeah. But um, when you talk about like why that's not OK, um, my response to that is when they're talking about woke XYZ, they're always talking about these are the same people who use the, the word social or the term social justice warrior as a pejorative. Like, how can you take those three words, put them together and then try to make it something bad? What is wrong with you? <laughs> this is my question. So when we're looking at that, they're leveling critiques at people who are trying the best they can with the knowledge that they've acquired to address issues that they see. And for you to take the time out of your day to to construct arguments, to critique their methods and their ideology without offering a viable alternative outside of the hollow words, just preach the gospel, tells me that there is something devoid in your theology. Like you have a giant gap that you're not willing to address. Now, somebody heard that and say, like, oh, you think the gospel is insufficient. That is not what I'm saying at all. I believe that the gospel is sufficient. But I'm saying that if just preach the gospel were in and of itself without a move of the Holy Spirit to alter the, 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 the hearer, if that were sufficient in and of itself, we wouldn't have had the slavery problem to begin with. Because last I checked, they had church houses in the middle of these plantations. 
So they, they, they were receiving the gospel. Uh, Mass and them was receiving the gospel right there before the, the, the people that they owned were hearing this gospel. So just hearing these magic words about sin and Jesus dying and being resurrected on the third day, that is not sufficient in order to address all of these ills that we're trying to address. What has to happen is that the Holy Spirit meets you at the place they, they convict you of something and, and 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 you are moved to repentance the act of turning around right like that, that that's how that works and i think there's an argument to be made that many of the people who have had this encounter with the gospel of jesus christ the the, the jesus who during his earthly ministry found time uh, to fellowship with the lowest of the low the the sinners the outcasts of society and let them know that they were valued and loved by god um the people who've encountered that gospel are like you know what i need to do something about these issues that i see in my society today i think there's an argument to be made that yeah preaching the gospel does work because they heard the gospel and they were moved to change now, for you to sit there using your time and construct all of this energy, like if you truly believe that they're going about this the right way or the wrong way, rather, if you if you believe that they're they're misstepping, it is then incumbent upon you to offer a viable solution. And frankly, you do not have it. Or you don't have it in the estimation of these people who are going about this in, in the way that you deem unfit. What you're actually communicating is that everything right now is fine, that all of these people are exaggerating and making things up. And that is your right to believe that. If that is your opinion, God bless you. May the Lord bless and keep you far away from me. Cause I don't want like that. That's, that's not, that's not my like battle to fight. Like that's, that's, that's between you and the Holy spirit. But I can't help but notice that a lot of these people who are, who are making these arguments serve in a very different context than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm called to serve with different people who live a different life with, with <laughs> different circumstances. Um, and, and most of the people I serve look like me. So whatever you, you, you go over there talking about and everything, the, the, the people I know are not concerned about critical race theory. Critical race theory is, is a, it's, it's an academic discipline. It's not something they're sitting there thinking about. What what they worried about is how they gonna get the light, keep the lights on until they get the next check. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's a very different reality that we live. So I, I don't even have a whole lot of energy for all of these philosophical debates on X Y Z. When honestly, it's, it's almost kind of offensive because there's people living real lives hmm. with with real things to deal with, and and now you've created imaginary boogeymen for them to contend with. And um, as a matter of fact, oh man, the the, the first guest you had on the show, um, Susan, Susan, right? Um, I don't want to mispronounce her last name. Condone. Oh, Susan Cadoni. Yeah, Cadoni. There we go. She 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 tweeted something one time that blew my mind uh, when she was referring to uh, egalitarianism versus complementarianism, and she said, uh, "Boys, I don't take sides in your invented wars." And I heard it and I was like, oh, wow. Like I felt so liberated in that moment. I was like, I don't have to have like a stance on everything. Like if y'all want to argue about CRT, cool, more power to you. I got important things to do over here. If CRT is the greatest threat to the gospel in your church, then by all means, extinguish that threat in your church. I'm not going to go to your church no time soon. But the greatest threat, and, and Trey, you don't have to go to that church for me to, for, for, to know that CRT is in fact not. I don't have to because <laughs> yeah. because I'll tell you what there was there were uh, nine people who went to a Bible study in a church and were murdered mm-hmm. in that Bible study in that church. 
So if you mean to tell me that you believe that CRT is the greatest threat to the church instead of white supremacy that literally murders people and that that literally goes into black churches and kills people that 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 storms the Capitol, uh, trying to hang the vice president of the United States, the white evangelical vice president of the United States, like no that that is that is a a, a toxic thing that is not only okay here's here's what we need to reckon with right because this is this is this is this is free this this is a million dollars worth of game for free 99. This don't even affect me. I'm black. I don't have to deal with this. But so many people are creating this link now between what they saw on Wednesday, uh, on, the, on that Wednesday at the Capitol building and what transpires in all of these white evangelical churches. You're losing credibility now. It's incumbent upon you to address that. So you say that CRT is the greatest threat to the gospel. I don't know what you mean by that. If you're talking about your ability to meet to 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 reach people with that, like no, what we just saw on TV is is a threat to the gospel. Because I don't want to listen to nothing you got to say until you address this, until you address the people that came out of your pews and then walked through those windows in Washington D.C. So, and, so, and folks are busy saying like, yeah, but they're not like really one of us. They sure look like them to me. Um, <laughs> they, yeah. they were they were carrying your banners and singing your songs. And then like, there's yeah. a pa- there's a pastor at a church that is literally up the street from me. I could walk over to that church right now. And, and we used to partner up in in things um, every now and then until I, like I started seeing he he made a mistake of requesting me on Facebook. And I saw his wall and I was like, oh heavens, no, I can't because he, he had one of them walls that like every other post is like oh verified by fact checkers this this is untrue and sitting there spreading all of the conspiracy theories and everything and i'm like how are people supposed to believe that you have the truth that is jesus christ if everything else on your wall is a lie Mm. and i'm sitting there and 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 in that i i cannot do ministry with him anymore because i don't want my witness compromised by your foolishness you know what I'm saying? So when I say like some of this stuff doesn't affect me, I've been clear on this stuff from Jump Street. I'm, I'm clear on where and where I stand. Um, if, if you go to my Twitter account, you will see that I am very vocal in what I do not stand for. I don't endorse candidates, but if I see people that we have empowered to help make decisions for this nation being foolish, uh, being foolish, I will say that. The fact that you are silent on some of this stuff and that you actually like plainly endorse a lot of it, that's a threat to the gospel. Mm-hmm. Not CRT. You talk about it being an alternative worldview, like, okay, <laughs> if, if, if you believe that that alternative worldview is more appetizing and tempting to some people than the one that you're presenting, that's something that you need to look in the mirror and deal with. Mm. Yeah. I, uh, for people who claim to have the truth, it's, yeah. they, they, they seem to think that it's awfully fragile. So one of the, one of the interesting things about this particular season, you know, there's the whole joke about like, oh, Christianity is going to be illegal when Joe Biden is like, like people making fun of people like, oh, Donald Trump was defending Christianity. I'm like, who, who asked him to? It yeah. was, it wasn't me. What was does that Trump? even mean? Yeah. So like doing we, stuff for Christians. I don't like what, uh, what? I don't understand it at all. And, and, and so Earlier, I mentioned about three uh, theological traditions of being born in the black church. The black church was literally, as we know, born in secrecy, right? Like they would go, many, many black Christians during uh, slavery would have to go to the church that their owners, that, that, that their masters at the time made them go to, and then they would meet in secret later and worship because what they were forced to do was not true worship, right? Um, 
that's a faith that went under like oppression like that that that's what that was my theological tradition was born in that so when you say like oh christianity is gonna have to go underground i say i say i say good good for you because that's where my faith and my, my faith has been through the fire none of this stuff scares me um and it's one of those things that's interesting i wonder to what extent people's faith might express itself differently or people might express their faith differently if they had a broader range of voices at the table, because I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get scared by the same things in terms of like potential persecution of Christians. Like, nah, we don't been through worse. <laughs> like we, we, I don't seem to have a matter of fact, half the Christians in the world today are operating under genuine persecution. And it seems that what we have conflated here is the idea of religious freedom and whatever this weird notion of American freedom is. Like, yes, I am free to sneeze in my neighbor's face without a mask on. You know, like we have this weird thing going on here. Now people are whining about getting kicked off Twitter. Even though I've been on Twitter since 2009. You know how many times my account has been suspended? Zero. You know why? Because I haven't tried to throw the U.S. Go- I haven't tried to overthrow the U.S. government one single time. It's a very easy thing to pull off. So it's one of those situations like people are worried like, oh, they're going to make our faith illegal. What, did, what, what, what do you believe in? Because I haven't even come close to that yet. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's confusing license for liberty, and and the the missing element there, uh, what distinguishes liberty from license is justice. So, so I'll put it this way, right? You got the Pledge of Allegiance. At the end of it, it's like liberty and justice for all, and yeah. that's you know sounds nice, but like what what does that mean, right? Yeah. Um, and how do you balance like liberty and justice? It can't be that we have unrestricted liberty. Because then, yeah. then everyone will do and suffer all kinds of injustice. Right. If you can have liberty and justice, then justice has to be sovereign. Mm-hmm. Liberty has to submit to justice. Because uh, otherwise, what you have is license. And license is just freedom, claiming the freedom to do that which justice forbids. And, and, and the, the, the frustrating thing, right, is that people don't just show up and say, like, hey, I'm, I want to... Uh, indulge in some license now, you know, <laughs> they, they cloak their license in the language of Liberty. Right. I mean, you like, like people who were literally enslaving other people made their position about Liberty. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, just get more absurd than absurd than that. Yeah. Right? It's, it's so interesting, especially when we talk about like the whole argument about reparations and everything. Um, one of the reasons I enjoy the pursuit of history is you get to see all sorts of like paradigms play out. And the fact that there was a real genuine controversy after the Revolutionary War that the British needed to compensate the the the, the slave owners, the, the, the slavers for the people that they had taken back to Britain, uh, emancipated, right? Like it was this whole thing like, no, we were not signing a treaty until they agree to compensate us for the slaves they took, right? So y'all want reparations for what was taken from you during the war, but like now it's like, oh, well, how do we know oh, who's the sending us? Like, wait a second, this doesn't make any sense. It's just all of those contradictions there in the fact that, like, yeah, they, they had the license to do this. It was a cloak in the language of liberty, but at the same token, like, they felt so entitled to this 
liberty this 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 license that when it was taken by somebody else with the license in an act of war uh you felt that you needed to be compensated before you could have peace and reconciliation that's a bit of american history like the 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 john jay treaty almost did not occur because that did not happen so now all of a sudden when we talk about reconciliation in a modern sense like no we want to skip past all of that stuff that almost didn't let the united states happen you know Hmm. Yeah. And, and they're, they're just like, come on, let, like, you know, let's, let's move on. Let's move on. That was a long time ago. And it's, it's like the, the odds of you moving on from even uh, from any kind of slight whatsoever, the odds are zero. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> the, <laughs> the Republican party of today, if it makes me laugh, I'm sorry, I couldn't even say this without, without chuckling a little bit, but now they're trying this delicate balancing act where they're, where they're both the aggrieved party and um, the party ready for like healing. Like they, it, it's, it's, a, it's a weird act. They're trying to pull where um, all of a sudden like, Oh, we're being censored and people don't want to listen to us, but we're just ready for healing right now. And they don't want to talk about the fact that like, wait, y'all, really unleash this dragon on us, literally burn down the Capitol, <laughs> like just breathing all over the place, all of this stuff. Yeah. Well, however you feel about, however you feel about anything that's been controversial over the past four years, whether it's the response to the COVID pandemic, whether it's response to Charlottesville, Unite the Right and all that stuff. We just saw this dude go and speak at a rally of people in the Capitol. And then those same people, like the same people, not not a, a, a different group, a couple of days, like, no, those same people. And he talked about marching to the Capitol. They marched to the Capitol and then they marched through the Capitol. Like we saw that happen. Right. And there hasn't really been they much. Were, hey, they were just standing back and standing by. Trent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the same people who like, paved the way and gave him license to do just about anything he wanted carte blanche for the past four years. There's not been much of a public reckoning. Oh man. Like maybe we shouldn't have done X, Y, Z. Maybe we should have stood up there. Uh, we stood, we should have stood up at this point or that point. Um, there's not been much of that. There's okay. Now we're ready to heal because Joe Biden's about to be sworn in. Well, at the same time, they're playing a victim of, Oh, now the media is trying to censor us. Well, like, yeah, y'all just, encourage this man to sit here and lie to the people to the point where five people died in U.S. Capitol grounds. Like five people died. And then there's the whole, the the, the one lady who was actually shot by the Capitol Police or, or security, or whoever that was, trying to be slick with the whole say her name thing and people like oh how come there's no there's no rallies about her there's there's no like well what happened to that i'm like well this sounds like a great time for all of the all lives matter folk to speak up right black lives matter is this because there was a problem that people saw not being addressed like you know what we need to speak this truth if you truly believe that all lives matter then you need to say something but the problem is you can't say anything because all of the stuff you said about simply complying and everything flies out the window if they're telling you back up then you're trying to climb through a window that you just broke and you get shot like according to everything you've been telling us for the past six years that's what she deserved but it's it's a situation where like everything that they've said about the people they claim are problematic and tearing our country apart was just done by people who agree with all of the things that they claim to, to, to believe and the fact that we don't have like any reckoning any 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 mea culpa or anything on that front is 
it's not really sustainable. Yeah, because they set themselves up. Yeah, that's that's a really I, none of that had occurred to me. Right, that there's the playing the victim, which of course they you know folks with this sort of authoritarian uh, cast of mind they always claim they they always accuse uh, actual victims of playing the victim. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, well, there's not they're not really playing, right? This isn't actual like uh, Susan Cadoni mentioned on when I interviewed her that she's been accused of uh, when she tells her story of abuse, she's been accused of playing the victim, an actual victim of sexual abuse. Yeah. Of playing the victim. And then and then folks in positions of power to what? I mean, divert attention from their own wrongdoing, frame things to, to make it look as though they've themselves been wrong. So, so like, for example, you've got this uh, Hawley fellow, I think I'm saying his name right, from Missouri. Oh, Lord. Who attended uh, Yale Law School and clerked for the U.S. Supreme Court for, for the Chief Justice, tweeting something about his First Amendment rights being violated by a publisher who withdrew from a, a book publishing contract. Now, I don't know what the terms <laughs> of the contract were. It may be that the publisher uh, violated the terms of that contract. I doubt it very much because, you know, publishers tend to know what they're about when it comes to those kinds of contracts, right? Yeah. Uh, but whatever was going on there has absolutely nothing to do with his First Amendment rights. And he knows that full well. Right. He knows that full well. So one of the things that really bothers me about some of these people is that they tell you things that you like, basically they, they, they think you're stupid. They say things that they know to not be true under the assumption that you will believe them to motivate or manipulate you into doing something that benefits them. And then like me having a pastoral heart, right? Like my, my heart is, is oriented towards helping people. Like I identify that as wolf-like behavior. That's predatory behavior, mm-hmm. what we're seeing right here. Um, so when you have the the Hollies and and the Ted Cruz's of the world who are saying things like you you know full well that that's not true. Like Ted Cruz is talking about arguing cases in front of the United States Supreme Court that he knows not only have no merit, he knows they're not even going to make it. That that was an empty offer because he knows that the Supreme Court is not going to hear that stuff. Um, just because he's hoping to shore up a, a, a base and everything like that while still claiming to, to be pro-America, like, oh, no, what we saw, on uh, that that is unacceptable. Like, no, you're still doing it. You're still flaming the flames because right now you are, you are praying, you are presenting a narrative that you know can only be accepted upon either the suspension of disbelief or just not knowing no better. Like this, this is who you are playing towards. You cannot have it both ways. Either that's going to be your crowd and you're going to steer these people however you want them, or you're going to stand up for truth. Like you can't, you, there's no, you can't hold on to still being Mr. Pro-America and, and, and Mr. Morals and, and, and do the right thing while, while operating the way that you do. It's such an inherent contradiction. And that really frustrates me because people that I always assumed and trusted to know better, like not the politicians, but like the pastors and theologians and the people in my life have fallen under this spell that doesn't make like it doesn't stand up to any tiny bit of scrutiny. The only way that you can believe any of this stuff is if you want to. Hmm. <laughs> like, 
the only way that you believe that that all oh, somehow, some way, thousands, hundreds and thousands of dead people conspired to steal this election. The only way you can believe that is if you want to. Like you would have to not be paying attention to anything since the year 2015 to, to, to not have it in yourself to believe that maybe Donald Trump lost this election when all of the signs pointed towards that being a very real possibility. So when you see opportunists like Senator Hawley and Senator Cruz, and to an extent, Senator Rubio and all these different people who, who are saying the right things to keep that crowd engaged at a certain level. You don't get to play with fire and then act shocked when stuff burns down. That's 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 not operating in truth. And I have a problem with that. That's why I don't I don't even too much engage. Like when I was like, cool, if that's you stay over there. Gotta keep you o- o- over there, like away from me, because at the end of the day, I, I don't have anything to gain. There's there's no ministry in me operating when, when you've made a conscious decision to operate in deceit. There's nothing I can do there. There's nothing like even if you wanted to sit there and have this debate and go back and forth and have me sit there and pull out all the scholarly sources and all that stuff. What benefit is there in that if you are dedicated to being a fool, like a professional fool, if you are dedicated to playing this role to galvanize these people, I have, I have, I have there's nothing in there for me. So people talk about building echo chambers and everything like that's uh, that's a really weird way of you to try to force your way onto a platform with me. I don't owe you that dignity. I do not. Um, because to this point, I'm like, man, I don't want to seem infallible or faultless or anything, but I try my hardest to walk in integrity and honesty. And for me to take all of that life's work and 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 allow you to benefit from from anything that comes with it, that that would be poor stewardship on my part. Hmm. So there are times when cool, if, you, if you need to call it an echo chamber, fine, I'll, I'll be in an echo chamber. But it's, it's lovely over here. It sounds fantastic. I don't have to hear none of that nonsense, you know. I think there's an opportunity in this particular season and I've seen it based upon like prayers I've prayed and conversations I've had with people. I think there's a real opportunity for us to rethink how we do not only theology, but community, because there's one thing I recognize, right? Like, okay. uh, We mentioned the podcast that I do with Sam and Rob, three black men. Right. Um, And praise God. uh, it, It seems as though, Many people from many different walks of life have found that beneficial in some form or fashion, um, found some of those conversations enriching. And sometimes I think, and I'm legitimately flabbergasted that like a lot, like I, maybe even a majority of our listeners have been white people. And that gives me hope for the fact that people are willing and maybe even see a need to include more voices and more perspectives at the table. And I think that that's a good thing for everybody involved because there are certain things like you don't get to experience the fullness of all that God has created unless you give or esteem every everyone that he has created um, in a way that honors God. Amen. Right. So in, in that vein, like I'm, I'm if there's any room for encouragement. It's the fact that now, like, and in 2020, everything had to shut down. People went online. It's never been easier yeah. to, to, to broaden your horizons. It's never been easier to, to cast a wider net and, and to see more that not only the world, but that God 
has to offer through the bride of Jesus Christ in 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 the church, you know, um, and that excites me a little bit because I think that we're in a in a in, a, in an ordained moment. And in a moment that God has set up for some actual healing to happen, if people would be willing to go through the uncomfortable process of healing, sometimes healing requires surgery. Sometimes you got to reset some things and that could be painful, but it is the best way to living holy, holy W H O L L Y and maybe H O L Y too. You know, I find I get excited about that aspect of, of where we find ourselves today yeah it's like we we talk a lot about the the economic and educational and various kinds of impacts of something like redlining and go to different cities and and you can put a map of you know with the red lines on it from the 30s 40s 50s 60s uh, and superimpose a, a map of the, the breakdown of different racial and ethnic groups on that map. And like a bunch of it just hadn't changed. Right. No. And we, so one thing that, that hadn't jumped out at me until just now, when you were describing the moment in which we find ourselves is that one element of that is, is like physical separation and lack of community and communication when you're going where you're going and where you are, when you are, where you are, it's like, I mean, it's the most, it's the most basic, like literal aspect of the segregation. Yeah. And now when we're communicate, like so much of our social interaction now is happening in spaces that are not subject to that kind of segregation. I mean, there's inequality of access and and so on. Right. But it's like you're not just talking to the people who you bump into. Right. Physically on a daily basis. Right. right. Yeah. 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 I think um it's one of the that's more something to be hopeful about, man. Thank you for that. Hey, for sure, man. For sure. Um, and, and that's something that's blessed me in a personal sense too, because I don't one one, one thing I, I um I'm kind of nervous about on some of these platforms, I don't ever want to sound like an authority who doesn't think that he has anything to learn because through this whole process, I've been enriched. I've been blessed. Like, well, okay. So one thing that sets me apart from some of the other people I run into in these circles. And even when it comes to like uh, Sam and Rob on the podcast, the only exposure I've had to being in like non-black church spaces was at my first seminary. Right. So a lot of things are I, I've read in books and experienced tangentially, like working in, in maybe in, in parachurch ministries and things of that nature. But some of this stuff is foreign to me, the way that people think and, and view things. So I've also been blessed to interact with people that I wouldn't have otherwise. You know, I've, I've been I've, I've learned some more perspectives and it's really given me a picture for the fullness. Like, And, and I think there is value in that because I, I tell people all the time, there's, there's four different gospels in the Bible about the same Jesus. Why is that? Because people had different perspectives. People had and they, they saw things from different angles and they actually while they all tell the same story, they're, they're, they're catching different details here and there. And there's different things caught up in there. I think it's important 
that not only theology, but fellowship, that growth, that discipleship, that that formation happens in community for those reasons. Otherwise, we end up deceiving ourselves and we think that our hermeneutic, that our lens, that the way we see things is the only valid way. It's not always the case.